Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. Our selection this time, The Push of a Finger by Alfred Bester, read by Perry F. Bruns, Part 2. I was standing in a small hall that had synthetic walls with those fluorescent paintings on them. It was pretty short, had no doors anywhere, and led toward the foot of a white staircase. The only way I could go was forward, so I went. With that door locked behind me, I knew I would be slightly above suspicion. But only slightly, my friends, only slightly. Sooner or later, someone was going to ask who I was. The stairs were very pretty. I remember them because they were the first set I'd ever seen outside the housing museum. They had white, even steps, and they curved upward like a conic section. I ran my fingers along the smooth stone balustrade and trudged up expecting anything from a cobra to one of Tex Richards' fighting robots to jump out at me. 
I was scared to death. I came to a square railed landing, and it was then I first sensed the vibrations. I'd thought it was my heart whopping against my ribs with that peculiar bam-bam-bam that takes your breath away and sets a solid lump of cold under your stomach. Then I realized this pulse came from the prog building itself. I trotted up the rest of the stairs on the double and came to the top. There was a sliding door there. I took hold of the knob and thought, Oh well, they can only stuff me and put me under glass. So I shoved the door open. Boys, this was it. That nucleus I told you about. I'll try to give you an idea of what it looked like because it was the most sensational thing I've ever seen. And I've seen plenty in my time. The room took up the entire width of the building, and it was two stories high. I felt as though I'd walked into the middle of a clock. Space was literally filled with the shimmer and spin of cogs and cams that gleamed with the peculiar highlights you see on a droplet of water about to fall. All of those thousands of wheels spun in sockets of precious stone, just like a watch, only bigger and those dots of red and yellow and green and blue fire burned until they looked like a painting by that Frenchman from way back. Surratt was his name. The walls were lined with banks of computation itographs. You could see the end total curves where they were plotted on photoelectric plates. The setting dials for the integraphs were all at eye level and ran around the entire circumference of the room like a chain of enormous white-faced periods. That was about all of the stuff I could recognize. The rest just looked complicated and bewildering. That bam-bam-bam I told you about came from the very center of the room. There was a crystal octahedron, maybe ten feet high, nipped between vertical axes above and below. It was spinning slowly so that it looked jerky. And the vibration was the sound of the motors that turned it. From way high up, there were shafts of light projected at it. The slow-turning facets caught those beams and shattered them and sent them dancing through the room. Boys, it was really sensational. I took a couple of steps in, and then a little old coot in a white jacket bustled across the room, saw me, nodded, and went about his business. He hadn't taken more than another three steps when he stopped and came back to me. It was a real slow take. He said, I don't quite. And then he broke off doubtfully. He had a withered, faraway look, as though he'd spent all his life trying to remember he was alive. I said, I'm Carmichael. Oh, yes, he began, brightening a little. Then his face got dubious again. I played it real smart. I said, I'm with Stabilizer Groting. Secretary? Yeah. You know, Mr. Mitchell he said. I can't help feeling that despite the gloomier aspects, there are some very encouraging features. The ultimate datum system that we have devised should bring us down to surveys of the near future in a short time. He gave me a quizzical glance like a dog, begging for admiration on his hind legs. I said, really? It stands to reason. After all, once a technique has been devised for pushing analysis into the absolute future, a comparatively simple reversal should bring it as close as tomorrow. I said, it should at that, and wondered what he was talking about. 
Now that some of the fright had worn off, I was feeling slightly disappointed. Here I expected to find the hyperman who was handing down Sinai decrees to our bosses, and I walk into a multiplied clock. He was rather pleased. He said, You think so? I think so. Will you mention that to Mr. Groting? I feel it might encourage him. I got even smarter. I said, To tell you the truth, sir, the stabilizer sent me up for a short review. I'm new to the staff, and unfortunately I was delayed in Washington. He said, Tut, tut, forgive me. Step this way, Mr. Mr. Ah. Uh. So I stepped his way, and we went weaving through the clockworks to a desk at one side of the room. There were half a dozen chairs behind it, and he seated me alongside himself. The flat top of the desk was banked with small tabs and push buttons so that it looked like a stenotype. He pressed one stud, and the room darkened. He pressed another, and the bam-bam quickened until it was a steady hum. The octahedron crystal whirled so quickly that it became a shadowy mist of light under the projectors. "'I suppose you know,' the old coot said in rather self-conscious tones, now, this is the first time we've been able to push our definitive analysis to the ultimate future. We'd never have done it if Wiggins hadn't developed his self-checking data system. I said, good for Wiggins. And I was more confused than ever. I tell you, boys, it felt like waking up from a dream you couldn't quite remember. You know that peculiar sensation of having everything at the edge of your mind, so to speak, and not being able to get a hold of it? I had a thousand clues and inferences jangling around in my head, and none of them would interlock. But I knew this was big stuff. Shadows began to play across the crystal. Off-focus images and flashes of color. The little old guy murmured to himself, and his fingers plucked at the keyboard in a quick fugue of motion. Finally he said, ah, and sat back to watch the crystal. So did I. I was looking through a window in space, and beyond that window I saw a single bright star in the blackness. It was sharp and cold, and so brilliant it hurt your eyes. Just beyond the window in the foreground I saw a spaceship. No, none of your cigar things or ovate spheroids or any of that. It was a spaceship that seemed to have been built mostly in afterthoughts. A great rambling affair with added wings and towers and helter-skelter ports. It looked like it had been built just to hang there in one place. The old coot said, Watch close now, Mr. Muggins. Things happen rather quickly at this tempo. Quickly? They practically sprinted. There was a spurt of activity around the spaceship. Towers went up and came down. The bug-like figures of people in space armor bustled about. A little cruiser, shaped like a fat needle, sped up to it, hung around a while, and then sped away. There was a tenth second of waiting, and then the star blotted out. In another moment, the spaceship was blotted out, too. The crystal was black. My friend, the goofy professor, touched a couple of studs, and we had a long view. There were clusters of stars spread before me. Sharply, brilliantly in focus. As I watched, the upper side of the crystal began to blacken. In a few swift moments, the stars were blacked out. Just like that. Bluey. It reminded me of school when we added carbon ink to a drop under the mic, just to see how the amoeba would take it. He punched the buttons like crazy, and we had more and more views of the universe. 
and always that black cloud crept along, blotting everything out. After a while, he couldn't find any more stars. There was nothing but blackness. It seemed to me that it wasn't more than an extra special stereo show, but it chilled me nevertheless. I started thinking about those amoeba and feeling sorry for them. The lights went on, and I was back inside the clock again. He turned to me and said, Well, what do you think? He said, I think it's swell. That seemed to disappoint him. He said, Oh, no. I mean, what do you make of it? Do you agree with the others? With stabilizer groating, you mean? He nodded. I said, You'll have to give me a little time to think it over. It's rather startling. By all means, he said, escorting me to the door. Do think it over. Although, he hesitated with his hand on the knob, I shouldn't agree with your choice of the word startling. After all, it's only what we expected all along. The universe must come to an end one way or another. Think. Boys, the massive brain practically fumed as I went back downstairs. I went out into the press room and I wondered what there was about a picture of a black cloud that could have upset the stabilizer. I drifted out of the prog building and decided I'd better go down to the controller's office for another bluff, so I didn't drift anymore. There was a pneumatic pickup at the corner. I caught a capsule and flicked off the address on the dial. In three and a half minutes I was there. As I turned the overhead dome back and started to step out of my capsule, I found myself surrounded by the rest of the newspaper crowd. The ledger said, Where you been, my friendly? We needed your quick brain, but bad. I said, I'm still looking for Hogan. I can't cover a thing until I've seen him. What's this need for brains? Not just any brains. Your brain. I got out of the capsule and showed my empty pocket. The ledger said, We're not soaping you for a loan. We needed interpolation. Uh-huh. The record said, The dope means interpretation. We got one of those official releases again. All words and no sense. I mean interpolation, the ledger said. We gotta have someone read implications into this barren chaff. I said, brothers, you want exaggeration and I'm not going to be it this time. Too risky. So I trotted up the ramp to the main floor and went to the deputy vice's office and then I thought, I've got a big thing here. Why bother with the small fry? I did a turnabout and went straight to the controller's suite. I knew it would be tough to get in because the controller has live secretaries. No voters. He also happens to have four receptionists. Beautiful, but tough. The first never saw me. I breezed right by and was in the second anteroom before she could say, What is it, please? The second was warned by the bang of the door and grabbed hold of my arm as I tried to go through. I got past anyway with two of them holding on, but number three added her lovely heft and I was bogged down. By this time I was within earshot of the controller, so I screamed, Down with stability! Sure I did. I also shouted, Stability is all wrong! I'm for chaos! Hooray for chaos! And a lot more like that. The receptionists were shocked to death, and one of them put in a call for emergency, and a couple of guys hanging around were all for boffing me. 
I kept on downing with stability and fighting toward the Sanctum Sanctorum, etc., and having a wonderful time because the three girls hanging on to me were strictly class, and I happily suffocated on exuberant number five. Finally, the controller came out to see what made. They let go of me, and the controller said, What's the meaning of this? Oh, it's you. I said, Excuse it, please. Is this your idea of a joke, Carmichael? No, sir but it was the only quick way to get to you. Sorry, Carmichael, but it's a little too quick. I said, wait a minute, sir. Sorry, I'm extremely busy. He looked worried and impatient all at once. I said, you've got to give me a moment in private. Impossible. See my secretary. He turned toward his office. Please, sir. He waved his hand and started through the door. I took a jump and caught him by the elbow. He was sputtering furiously when I swung him around, but I got my arms around him and gave him a hug. When my mouth was against his ear, I whispered, I've been upstairs in the Prague building. I know. He stared at me and his jaw dropped. After a couple of vague gestures with his hands, he motioned me in with a jerk of his head. I marched straight into the controller's office and almost fell down dead. The stabilizer was there. Yeah, old Jehovah groating himself standing before the window. All he needed was the stone tablets in his arms. Or is it thunderbolts? I felt very, very sober, my friends, and not very smart anymore because the stabilizer is a sobering sight no matter how you kid about him. I nodded politely and waited for the controller to shut the door. I was wishing I could be on the other side of the door. Also, I was wishing I had never gone upstairs into the Prague building. The controller said, This is John Carmichael, Mr. Groting, a reporter for the Times. We both said, How do you do? Only Groting said it out loud. I just moved my lips. The controller said, Now, Carmichael, what's this about the Prague building? I went upstairs, sir. He said, You'll have to speak a little louder. I cleared my throat and said, I went upstairs, sir. You what? Went upstairs. This time lightning really did flash from the C.S.'s eyes. I said, If I've made trouble for anyone, I'm sorry. I've been wanting to get up there for years, and... And when I got the chance today, I couldn't resist it. Then I told them how I sneaked up and what I did. That's it for part two of The Push of a Finger by Alfred Bester here on Calm Mystery. Join us for part three and find out how exactly Carmichael's fateful meeting with the chief stabilizer turns out. Will he wind up getting destabilized? Find out right here on Calm Mystery. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app so that you don't miss an episode. And until next time, stay calm. Everything's a mystery. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, Maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's 
MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.